Yeah, so today it's quite funny because what I'm going to be preaching on, and this was not uh, as if I had a discussion with Pastor Stewart or whatever, but literally we're preaching on the same thing here and the same thing in Centurion. And it was totally God-ordained. It was not a discussion or anything like that. And that's how you know that this is 100% uh, what God wants us to hear at this point in time. So, yeah, if you don't enjoy this topic, <laughs> sorry, you need to take up your, your discussions with God. Um, yeah, so it's actually a very timely topic as well because it's, it, it speaks to a lot of people in the time that we're going through at the moment. And you'll see what I mean by that. So one of the focus areas that God has called me into or God has called me to minister into is that of finances. Um, the word is absolutely jam-packed with uh, wisdom regarding finances and wealth. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, forgive the pun, it's a treasure trove of uh, wisdom and advice regarding how you conduct your financial affairs. Oh, is it not recording? So sometimes I'm quite shocked by the things that we see in the Word or by how, exactly how much guidance and advice God gives us in His Word. And it's not antiquated advice either. It's advice that's more applicable today than it probably ever has been. A lot of people look at the Bible and they think, oh, this is for a previous time. But these things are applicable now, and you'll see what I mean. So just within these last couple of weeks, we've seen um, stock markets and markets in general crash to record lows, probably the lowest they've ever been since they started. Um, and we've seen drops in a single day of like record drops in a specific day. Um, and so it can feel sometimes as if our entire world is just crumbling about us um, as we hear about the economy going into recession, as we hear about our pensions dropping, uh, or maybe you don't even hear that, but sorry to give you that, <laughs> to give you that news, but yeah, pensions are going down. And basically the message that's being spread is that there's no hope for the future, economically speaking. Um, and specifically with regards to this virus, it, it's almost like we focus a lot on the um, health side of things, but we don't tend to focus on the economical side of things. And if anything, the economic side of things is even worse than the virus side because the virus will pass. We know that God provides healing and he will bring it to an end. But the economic side of things, we don't, we don't always see all the people that are experiencing that. And I dare say that in this season, God is king. God is seated on the throne. God is still in charge. Like um, Christelle was saying, there's no situation that surprises God. He doesn't just all of a sudden wake up and be like, oh, I don't know what's happening. God is able to provide in every situation and every scenario that we find ourselves in. Now, the sad part is when I look around me, all I see is people struggling financially. I see people going deeper and deeper into debt. It's very distracting having photos. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, and I see people making decisions that sometimes border on insanity, at least in my mind. Um, some of the decisions that I see people making, it's almost like I can't understand how someone would make such a decision. But I think that that's based on the fact that I've, I view finances and possessions and provision and all of that in the context of God's word, as opposed to what the world would prescribe. Um, and yeah, what we see is the poor and marginalized amongst us going further and further behind. And us in the middle income, we start feeling um, the economy slowing down and we feel the impact of that on our lives. But sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations and it's not because of uh, the, the, the economy, but it's sometimes it's because of us not following the guidance that God gives us in his word because he gives us tons of guidance and a very straight and 
um, clear path on what we should do with our finances. So in light of all of this, I've always felt a call towards illuminating uh, God's guidance or God's advice uh, when it comes to the, the topic of provision. Um, and I've always wanted to distill the information that he gives us into easily understood principles that anyone can um, take and apply in their life. And I don't speak about this because I'm overly qualified or something. I'm not like an expert in this kind of stuff, but it does help that I've um, spent countless hours poring over the words specifically in the topic of finances. Um, and I've applied it in my own life as well, in our life. And yeah, I've seen, I've seen how it applies practically. Um, and also it helps that I work in the finance industry, I work at a bank, I work at APSA, I work in the investment bank, so I get to see exactly what's happening in the market every single day. And yeah, it can be scary if you see the people's reactions, the traders' reactions to these things. And yeah, I'm also an accountant. <laughs> so it also helps from that perspective because accountants are taught how to manage money and how to manage budgets and things like that. So, um, I made it one of my goals a few years back to, to actually illuminate God's word for people, um, especially to teach those around me and to teach those who are less fortunate than myself how to apply God's word when it comes to your finances so that you can build a better future for yourself. Now, with all of that said, um, I hope to be able to, in the future, preach many topics on finances, specifically different categories and all those kind of things, but Today is just the start of that journey. Um, and so we'll start our biblical finance journey today by talking about the one thing which is the most important thing, which is where does all wealth come from? Who owns all wealth? So today we're going to be talking about Jehovah Jireh, our God who will provide. So the name Jehovah Jireh comes from that episode in Genesis where we had Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain with his son, uh, taking his only son, I like to add that, his only son, Isaac, up the mountain. And God had asked him to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. So, lest we forget, God had actually promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he promised that specifically through his son, Isaac. So just bear that in mind when we're reading this. So Isaac spoke up, this is Genesis 22, verse 7. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, and I like to pause there because the Bible, the way the Bible is written is so divinely inspired, like anything that's supposed to be there will be there. So if it says Abraham answered, it doesn't say Abraham hesitated or Abraham paused or... Abraham had to think about what he wanted to say because he already knew. He was calm. He was at peace with what was going to happen. And he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So Abraham had such incredible faith in God that he knew that even though he might have to, or he will, he's going to kill his son. He's literally going to kill his son. He knew that God had some way to provide for that promise that he had called or that he had given him. That maybe he would resurrect Isaac or maybe he would do something. But somehow he was still going to fulfill that promise. Um, and this is exactly why he answered to him and said, well, God is going to provide the, God is going to provide the lamb for the, the offering. He didn't say that 
just to satisfy his son or to satisfy himself. He said that because he truly believed it. So as he was about to kill his son, he had the knife. I think it was a knife, right? <laughs> but as he was about to kill his son and you put him on the, the altar, God quickly intervened and halted proceedings because he had seen that Abraham had passed the test of faith that he had put before him. Now, I like to pause here as well and think about how many times in our lives are we situ sitting at a situation where maybe our bank account balance is at its last legs, you know, we've got our last 10 rand or our last 100 rand, or our business is about to go under, or we don't have enough fuel to get somewhere, or something is about to happen where we just feel like this is the end. I don't know how we're going to continue through this. I think most of us have gone through those kind of scenarios, not necessarily financially, but in many areas of our life. And what we need to understand is that that is the time to have the most faith in, this, in God, because that's when he comes through. If he's made a promise to come through for you, and you're at the last possible opportunity for him to come through, that's when you know, yes, now he will come through. Because, I mean, there's no more time left. <laughs> So God then provided a ram in the thicket nearby that they used for the burnt offering. And it was at that point that Abraham named the place uh, Jehovah Jireh, which is God will provide. It literally means God will see to it, which follows from the promise that he, uh, the, the statement that Abraham made saying, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. God will see to it. So our God is a God who keeps his promises, and one of those promises is to provide for us. Right, so the first point that I want to go into is that God is our ultimate source. So the starting point for understanding any sort of view of God's, uh, or God's view of finances and wealth and possessions and all those kind of things and his provision is to understand where everything comes from in the first place. Who is the one that provides us with everything that we have? So here's a news flash. God is the owner of everything. <laughs> some people think maybe it's the president of the United States or some other person or there's some rich people that own everything. But no, it's actually God that owns literally everything. He, he owns everything that we own and he also owns us. And he also owns everything that we can ever produce because he gives us the gifts and talents to produce things as well. So everything just comes from that consequence of or there's a consequence of God owning everything. So, here's the first verse I want to read that will illuminate this concept. Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So I like this verse because it says, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Now you might think maybe that's the trees and the animals and the plants and the streams and all that kind of stuff. But actually, it's referring to everything that exists on the earth. Even in these times, it wasn't like this is Adam and Eve's time. In these times that this was written, we had, um, there were buildings, there were utensils, there were tools, all these kinds of things that people had besides just natural things. And God owns all of them. That's what it says. He owns us too. He, it says the world and those who dwell in it. So clearly we belong to God as well, which means everything that we create, everything that we own, everything that you have in your house, everything that you see, these cars parked out here, the cars at the dealership, the cars, I mean, the, the products in the shop, everything belongs to God. It doesn't belong to someone else. In Psalms 50, verse 10 to 11, we have, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. 
Now, what we need to appreciate in the context of these verses is that these were written in a time where the economy of that, uh, of that time was based on agriculture. So when God is talking about the cattle on a thousand hills, he's effectively saying he owns the economy, he owns the businesses within that time. And it applies the same today. He owns the stock market. He owns all the assets that are being traded. He owns everything in your house and mine. So when we talk about our possessions and things belonging to us, we actually make a very bad mistake because everything belongs to God first and foremost and he gives and he takes away and the biggest mistake that we can ever make or the, the ultimate proof of our foolishness is when we we trust in our physical assets but when we die we get none of them they leave us or rather we leave them so the quicker that we have a revelation that God is the owner of our money and our possessions, the easier it is for us to start taking that path towards financial freedom. We have to understand that the financial decisions that we make, when we make them, we have accountability to God. We are just stewards of what he has been given or what he has given us. When we experience difficulties because of decisions that we've made, we can't, so for example, buying an expensive car that's way more than what we can afford. We can't then go to God and question his provision because it's not, it's not about him not providing enough then. That is about us not being good stewards of what he's given us. So point number two, God's resources are limitless. So once we understand that God is the provider of everything and everything belongs to him, now the next point is to understand that that should allay any concerns that we have regarding um, his, his ability to provide for us because he has infinite wealth at his disposal. And it's not just the things that you see because God's provision is not just physical stuff either. It's all the other things as well. God has infinite wealth at his disposal. And I like this from Ephesians 3 verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. It's from the New Living Translation. And I need to give a nod to Pastor Michael for this because he came to our house a few months back. Um, and you know, we were going through quite a difficult situation financially. And the thing that he spoke over us was this particular verse. And he said, you need to understand that no matter what season you're in, God has endless or limitless treasures available to you. It's not just he just has enough to help you get through it, or just a little, you know, he can just satisfy what you need. He's got endless, limitless treasures available. So a lot of the promises that we see in the Word center around, or a lot of the, the sorry, a lot of the promises that we see in the Word, specifically around prosperity, tend to be in the Old Testament and tend to refer to the Israelites, God's chosen people. And for us as Christians, we can sometimes think, okay, well, then that doesn't apply to us, but that's not true. Um, what we need to realize is that through Jesus Christ, we've all become part of one body, both Jew and Gentile. And as a result, we can all, well, we're all heirs to all these promises that God has ever made to his people and his word, obviously within context. In Ephesians 3 verse 6, which is just a couple of verses before the previous um, scripture, and this is God's plan. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. 
So what that is effectively saying is that we get to lay hold of every promise that God has ever given his people because we are equal heirs. Whether we're Jew, whether we're Gentile, we get to hang on to those prayers. And I don't know if you know, but Jewish people are very prosperous. <laughs> Even today, they are very prosperous. And we need to also lay hold of those promises because we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Everyone here believes in the good news of Jesus Christ and therefore you are a partaker of those promises. So God is our provider. He is our, it's his responsibility to provide for us. It's not our responsibility to provide for ourselves. That's something that we get confused with sometimes. And it, because he's made those promises, we shouldn't be getting anxious about, will he be able to cover us in a specific season? Will he be able to get us through to the end of the month? When God promises something, it's, it's legit. <clears throat> now, the third point is God will supply all of our needs. So, that's, uh, in what ways does, does God actually provide for us? In what different, needs, uh, what different needs does God actually satisfy? So, the first one is basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter. This is the one that most people will think of. So this is the verse I want to read from, is, or the scripture is Matthew 6, verse 25, which is the one that Pastor Vim read this morning. Not by coincidence. <laughs> well, I mean, it is coincidence, but God uh, runs these things. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And again, like I said, the, the Bible is divinely inspired. So everything that has been put in there has been put in there for a reason. And the thing of saying, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life, I think that's actually saying, and we know this as well, that when you get stressed, you actually reduce your life. When you start worrying, you get stressed, and it causes you to have a, a shorter life. So what they're saying here, or what, the, what Jesus sorry, <laughs> is saying, is effectively, don't stress, because it's going to actually lead to you having a shorter life. Never mind trying to add to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his splendor, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, it's us of little faith. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? What shall we do when the electricity is off? What shall we do when there's no toilet paper at the, the shop? <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to be asking questions like that because God already knows. Like it says, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So before you start panicking, and I know no one here is panicking, <laughs> but before you go to the shop and go and buy all the toilet paper, remember that God actually already knows that you need it. So whether it's there or not, he will cover for you. And he always does. If any of you don't have toilet paper, come to me and I'll promise you I'll, I will go and query God on your behalf. So it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's our job. Our job is not to be focusing on, will God get me enough to, ha to eat today? 
to drink today, to get my kids to school, etc. God is just saying, you need to trust me on those things and follow and dive deeper into me effectively. It's again what Christelle was saying this morning, that we need to be focused on him and his presence as opposed to the things around us. So another way that God provides is through protection. Um, we know that God is our protector, and you would have heard this verse or the, a whole bunch of verses out of Psalms coming through this week and last week as people use this to protect themselves. And again, we heard it this morning. Um, Psalms 91 verse 10. Uh, actually, Psalms 91 verse 3, firstly, it says, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. And I like that. It doesn't say maybe or perhaps or, you know, he'll try. It says surely. It starts off by saying surely he will, provide, uh, he will save you from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. And we know deadly pestilence is effectively a reference to sickness or plague. So when you pray these kind of promises over your life, you shouldn't be anxious or worried, you know, because he's surely going to save you from it. So don't stress. <laughs> Easier said than done, but yeah. No evil will befall you. This is from verse 10. Nor will any plague come near your tent, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So not just with regards to sickness and this virus, but when you drive your car to work, when you're driving in the rain, when you are sleeping at night, we live in a country where there's rampant crime. God protects us. God protects us each and every day. We need to take these verses and actually pray them over our lives as promises from God because that's when they, that's when they carry power. I mean, you can read this as many times as you want, but when you actually take it for yourself and pro promise it, pray it as a promise over your life, that's when you start extracting the power from it. Then the next one is our physical health. Again, similar to the situation that we're in at the moment, Isaiah 53 verse 5, which um, Pastor Vim also mentioned this morning. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. We're not supposed to be slaves to sickness. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be sick every day. I mean, think about that. I know some people are more prone to sickness than others, but God didn't die on the cross for us to be sick, to suffer from sickness day after day after day. He gave us victory over that. And that's why we should claim this and actually you know, live, in the, live in the knowledge that you're not just going to be sick all the time because God is your healer. And even when you are sick, He's going to bring about healing. So if you catch coronavirus, which you won't because of the promises we just prayed before this, everyone here will not get coronavirus. But even if you did, your God is, is able to heal you from that. Amen. Okay, and then the next one is sleep. Now, before I became a parent, I never realized that sleep was a, <laughs> was a need <laughs> for people. And all the parents here will, um, will, of course, agree with me that as soon as you have a child, then you realize actually sleep is one of the most important needs in your entire life. Um, and as soon as it's taken away, you start to realize, yeah, that's more important than money, maybe. <laughs> so the verse I want to read here is Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. So next time you can't sleep or next time your child is not sleeping, there you go. And I will, I will give an example of this a bit later. But yeah, there's a verse for you to pray. So God gives us sleep. We need sleep to function every single day. We can't go about our business not having slept properly. 
I don't know if you've tried that, but it's not very good. It's not very enjoyable. Then the next one is God gives us gifts and talents. God gives us the ability to actually produce wealth for ourselves, or to help other people, or to counsel other people, or to love other people. God gives us gifts to use within the context of the church, to pray for other people, to heal them. And he also gives us gifts to use in, a, in the sense of producing for ourselves or providing for our families. Then a big one, salvation. God has provided us salvation. God has given us Jesus, who is the ultimate treasure that we could ever receive. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Of all the things that we could ever be provided for on this earth, this is the number one thing that he's given us. We were all headed on a, on a highway straight to hell. <laughs> Excuse the analogy to ACDC song. But anyway, we were all headed straight to hell or to the ultimate destruction. And God said, no, he's going to provide for that. He will not allow that to happen. And he went to the extent of putting himself on a cross to be able to rescue us from that. And I think for that we owe him endless thanks, endless gratitude, because it doesn't matter about our other, our other needs. This is the one that we need the most. And then lastly, God gives us more of himself. And this speaks to a, a lot of different things, because you know, one of our needs is joy. One of our needs is um, love. One of our needs is companionship. One of our needs is you know, just to be around other people, especially in this time. And this is where God actually provides himself. He actually comes into our space and is with us. If we pray to God and ask him, you know, in this season that I'm in, please will you give me, please will you draw close to me, please will you be, um, in, please will your presence be around me, please will your presence be here in this church, please will your presence be in the homes as people are not able to meet at the church. God is so faithful on that. He always answers. I mean, this is our Father we're talking about. He doesn't say, hey, this person is lonely and they're praying and asking for me to be close to them and I'm just going to ignore them. That's not how the God works that we serve. Maybe the gods of other religions, but not our one. So in summary, God provides for every single one of our needs. Everything that you could ever think of, he has supplied for it. And just in case you didn't think that I've given enough context or proof of that, here's a few verses that will illustrate it as well. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And what I love about it is it doesn't say he just supplies us with all things. It says he richly supplies us with all things. The Bible is written the way it is for a reason. Remember that. So when it says he richly supplies us, it means he's not just trying to meet your bare minimum. He's trying to give you over and above that. When it says he supplies us with all things to enjoy, it means he's not just giving you enough to make it through the day. He's giving you some extra to enjoy. So when you get given provision, don't think of it always as in, you know, oh, I just need to make it through. You actually need to enjoy it as well, because God is not a God of, uh, you know, bare minimums. <laughs> we serve a God who is of endless, infinite wealth, and he wants us to enjoy it. In Psalms 4, verse 19, And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Again, every single one of your needs. Psalms 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. What does it mean to lack nothing? Think about that. 
I'm sure if I had to ask any one of us now, are you lacking something, you'll be able to say, yes, I'm lacking this or I'm lacking that. And here it says you will lack nothing. So you need to think about those things that you're saying that you're lacking and, one, and ask yourself, why is it that you're not receiving that? And hopefully you're not asking for something too extravagant like an airplane or a ship or something like that. <laughs> but even if you do, I'm sure God can provide that. Psalms 37 verse 25. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. And I love this passage. I absolutely love it because it applies, or I've seen it in my life. All the Christian families, and I mean, when I say Christian families, I mean real followers of God. I've never seen a Christian family having to go to the streets to beg for bread. And I mean, honestly, think in your life, have you ever seen a Christian family out on the street begging for bread? No, because God is so faithful with his promise over here. And I mean, when we, when we um, are generous and lend freely, our children end up being a blessing. How about that? I mean, if you want your children to be a blessing to other people, now you know the key to unlocking that is being generous and lending freely. In Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then, though you are evil, the Bible again, on point, we are evil, <laughs> Knows, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think if I had to look at the, the caliber of people over here, I think you guys could give pretty good gifts to your kids or to the people around you. Pretty well thought out, um, generous gifts to people. So if we, and we are considered evil, we're here and God is limitlessly above us in terms of level. If we know how to give those kind of gifts, what kind of gifts do you think God wants to give us? So I think it's fair to say that every single one of us has at some point or another prayed to God for a job, a spouse, a provision, for fuel, for sleep, for any of these kind of things. But now the question is, when we pray, do we spend the majority of our time praying over those things? And is that a productive use of our prayer time, just praying you know, for basic necessities? And I think the answer to that is actually no. We shouldn't be doing that, but we'll, we'll illuminate that now now. So in Matthew 6, verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And here I like to use the example of my wife. If, if my wife is stressed, and I can see she's stressed, she's overworked, she's exhausted from looking after Micah, and I can see she needs a break, she needs to maybe go to the spa for a day off. If she then comes to me and says, hey, you know, I've, I'm really down and out. I'm really exhausted. Can I please go to the spa? <laughs> what do you think my reaction is going to be? It's going to be, look, you don't even have to ask me. I already knew that you needed this. I already made provision for it. You can go. And that's exactly what this is saying, that our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. When we come to Him, we shouldn't come to Him as if, you know, I'm trying to persuade you to give me this thing. It's not that. God already knows that we need it. Amen. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And remember that this, when it's talking about daily bread, it's not talking about stuff to eat necessarily. It's talking about that 
plus every one of these other needs that we were talking about, your safety, your love, your companionship, your protection, all those kind of things are covered. That's why I say that we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, will God be able to heal you if you're sick? Will God be able to cover you till the end of the month financially? Will God be able to allow your kids to go to school or for you to have your water, your electricity, everything that you need to function, including the toilet paper? These are obviously rhetorical questions because God, the answer to that is, the answer to this kind of thing is that God will provide all of these things and we shouldn't be spending all our time in prayer praying specifically for those things. Um, I think we have a better use of our time in prayer because God already knows what we need before we ask him. So now I want to go into how does God provide for us and here I want to give examples, examples from the word and examples from from real life as well. Well, not that the Bible isn't real life. The Bible is real life. <laughs> but you get what I mean. Uh, lived examples, let's put it that way. So Jesus had, this, had two episodes. Sometimes people think it's just one. But there were two episodes where he fed 5,000 and he fed 4,000. Um, and in John 6, so it's, it's, um, it's in the Bible in multiple places, but the John 6 interp or um, way of communicating it is as follows. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Two hundred denarii is like a, a person's wage for an entire month. He's saying that's not enough to cover them. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. And now this, I got this from Joseph Prince, for, the, for you guys who know that, uh, who that is. But this is really... It's really awesome if you, if you again dive into how the Word is divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit puts everything in the Word for a reason, even things that seem random. So when, it's, when Jesus said, have the people sit down, he was actually, the word sit down, if you look at the original language, it means recline, which means to be calm, be relaxed, be lying down, be at peace. Basically, you're in a position of not being stressed. And then the sentence is, now there was much grass in that place. Now, if you think to your knowledge of Scripture, where have you thought, of, where have you heard of lying down and a green or a place where there's much grass? Psalms 23, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And the analogy there is that we are sheep and God is our shepherd and all the grass that we are lying in is basically our provision because sheep eat grass, right? And now here we are in the New Testament and Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He's providing for people with fish and, and bread. Now isn't that amazing how the word ties together? If ever you needed proof that the Bible is real, there you go. Then we also have God providing manna for the Israelites as they were going through the desert after being rescued from, from Egypt. They started grumbling, as we all do. Um, and they started complaining to Moses and Aaron and saying, you know, it was better when we were in Egypt. At least we got our bread. At least we got our meat every single day. And now here we are and we've got nothing. And God hears that and he calls Moses and says, look, I'm going to provide for my people 
every morning when they wake up, there will be manna, which has rained down from heaven, which they can have as much as they need. So God provided for them. And then not even a few days later, they're complaining about water. <laughs> the same thing, that, oh, we were in Egypt, at least we had water, and now we've been brought out into the desert to die of thirst. And you can imagine Moses and Aaron must have been like, frustrated that people they've been rescued from Egypt and all they're doing is complaining about their provision and then God in his infinite wisdom does not get stressed does not get worried he doesn't panic he doesn't say hey you know I'm going to kill these people because they keep complaining he says no he will provide water for them strike the rock and he will provide water so when you're stressed remember that God is calm I mean how often do we grumble how often do we say I wish I was still at that job. I wish I was still uh, with these people. I wish I was still this age, you know? <laughs> I've thought that a few times. I wish I was still in my 20s so that I could do this, you know? But God puts us in the seasons that we're in for a reason. And we need to trust his provision no matter what the season looks like for us. So in our hometown in Fred, which is in KZN, my wife and I, we both come from the same hometown, in case you didn't know. <laughs> we actually went to school together. Um, so in our hometown, the, the weather situation there is usually kind of weird. It's very volatile. You'll have seasons where it rains a lot, and then you'll have seasons where it's like drought. And I remember when I was a teenager, there was a specific season where the drought was very bad. And I thought to my, and I saw my parents panicking and everyone around me panicking, and I thought, yo, this is quite stressful. I don't know what to do. Like, what are we going to do if we don't have water? And I remember one night standing at my window, and I could just see, like, in the distance or hear a storm in the distance. And I thought, God, please bring that storm here. Bring that storm here. We need it. And basically calling on him as a provider. And I remember it didn't rain that night. <laughs> the storm didn't come. But within the next couple of weeks, God had sorted out the entire situation. He had brought us so much rain that the situation was totally alleviated. And it wasn't, I, I'm not claiming it as if I was the one that brought that about or my prayer, but what I'm saying is that God hears it. God acknowledges all the prayers that come to him, and he, he covers for us, even if we don't pray, I guess. Now, another situation is when um, we just, when we moved to Pretoria, and we had just gotten married, because we actually both came from Durban before we came to Pretoria. Went from Freyhead to Durban to Pretoria, just to put together the links. But so when we came to Pretoria and we got married, we were kind of a little bit in debt because of our, not because of our wedding, but just because I had just gotten a new job from my articles, because I studied accounting, so you have to do articles and you don't get paid very well. Sorry to let you know that. <laughs> you don't get paid very well. And so just before we got married, I needed to actually pay for a whole bunch of things for our wedding. And, and so after we were married, um, we were not in the best financial situation because I had just gotten a new job and, you know, we were still trying to cover for all the expenses we had made. And at one point, Sanera had 50 rand in her account, literally 50 rand. It wasn't the end of the month yet. It wasn't close to the end of the month. And we still, I still remember us thinking to ourselves, you know, like, what are we going to do? And within... I think it was a matter of minutes, she can uh, confirm. She receives the SMS and it was a thousand rand gift from someone who hadn't been at our wedding and had just decided to give us a thousand rand. And just like that, God provides for us and carried us through. 
So, and then we've also had multiple situations in our life where Sonera has left her job or where we've only had one income. Um, and one of these was when last year she left her job, not last year, sorry, the year before, she left her job and it was for good reason because God had given her the, the direction that she shouldn't be in that job anymore for a number of reasons that you can ask her about. But So she left her job and then one week later <laughs> we found out that she's pregnant. And so we were still trusting for God to take her to a new stage in her career or somewhere different, you know, not in the corporate world, but to do something different. And so now we were thinking, okay, well, you're pregnant now, so it's a different story. <laughs> and now there's three of us, so we're going to have to trust God for his provision even more. And so um, what happened was that she actually got provided through this church. She was one of the people that set up this church, that helped set it up. And so the church actually covered her for a period. And so her old employer also covered her as she did counseling work through the, uh, not counseling work, consulting work, sorry. <laughs> that would have been weird, counseling work. Sorry, but she did consulting work for them and it covered us for a certain period until Mike, Micah's birth. But then once he was born, then it was just a one income situation. And again, God provided for us. I think to this day, we have never bought any clothes for Micah. To this day. It's a whole, he's almost a year old, and we haven't bought any clothes for him because people have provided. But even with all of this, what happened was that towards the end of last year, you know, your bank balance just starts going down and down and down, covering for three people as opposed to two. Three medical aids, three sets of food, three sets of everything, you know? And our bank balance was just going lower and lower and lower. And again, we said, God, look, now is the time for you to step in. We need you to step in. And believe it or not, he did. Um, he came and he gave me a new job. I didn't even, I didn't approach anyone for a new job. They actually approached me and offered me a job that I'm in at the moment, which also carries additional income in it and which has now covered us for the next season of our lives. So that's God's faithfulness. And then lastly, um, we had a situation where we were not getting any sleep, as I was alluding to earlier. Micah, in the last couple of months, has been super bad when it comes to sleep. Like waking up, and I'm not even exaggerating, like 10, 15 times a night. And it really takes a toll on you because you can't function during the day and you, can't, you feel totally like broken down. You can't go and exercise. You can't go and enjoy yourself because you're not getting sleep and he's not getting sleep either. So as a family, we weren't getting sleep. And I remember saying to Sonera, you know what? Enough is enough. We've heard all these sermons about how you should speak promises over a situation and how you need to trust God and the tools of our, or weapons of our warfare. So I took that verse, that Proverbs verse that I mentioned earlier, and prayed it over our situation. This was like a week or so ago. Whoops. And lo and behold, Micah now sleeps through the night. Can you believe it? He literally sleeps through the night. So you tell me how something can go from day to night like that overnight. It can only be from God. Yeah, that's God. So the last section I want to go through is how do we apply this revelation practically? So now once we have a revelation that God is our provider and that everything comes from him, how do we actually apply this in our lives? And I've got five simple steps that we can use to maximize this. The first one is we need to be conscientious with what we've been given. We need to be diligent stewards with what God has given us. When he provides for us, he's effectively saying, look, here's my provision for you. Steward it well, and I will give you more. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of us go and 
do the opposite. We take what we've been given and we try to buy expensive cars or clothing or whatever, all for the sake of impressing other people who nine times out of ten are trying to do the same thing back to us. <laughs> and why do we do things like this? It's like a person going and buying a car, like a, the latest Mercedes or Golf or whatever, but they're renting a one-bedroom outhouse at a person's house where they don't even have a bed to sleep on. But the car and the clothes and everything makes it look like they're super rich. I don't know why people do it. Well, actually, I do. It's because of pride. <laughs> and as we know, pride, if you've ever read any of C.S. Lewis's books, pride is like the ultimate sin because pride is the one that puts you as a rival to God. Um, and our pride is a dangerous thing generally. But if you take pride and you mix it with your financial decisions, then you're on a very slippery slope straight to destruction because that's going to end very badly for you, unfortunately. And why is that? Like When we make those kind of decisions out of pride, why is that the case? Why is it so difficult to reverse them? It's because God does not want to be rivaled by our lust for possessions or for things. He wants to be first in our lives. So we need to spend our resources wisely. We need to not purchase things in the hope that God is going to provide the difference for it. We need to actually make a budget, and I want to do a sermon on this at one point, the practicalities of this, but we need to make a budget and track our expenses but operate within what God has given us. We don't set a budget and put a little excess in there and say, okay, well, God, I'm praying that you're going to cover this. It doesn't work like that. We take what we've been given and we operate and uh, work within it and that's when God entrusts us with more. So the second point, give to those less fortunate. In 1 John 3 verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well, and I think that's most of us here, and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? We're in a situation now where there's going to be people that are not, because of this coronavirus, there's going to be people that are going to be out of income because they can't do their usual things. People who um, consult with other people or people who rely on actually dealing with people physically uh, or people who own small businesses, they're going to be struggling during this period. What are we going to do about that? Are we just going to sit by and say, you know, as long as I'm fine, everything is cool? Or are we actually going to step in and show God's love? How is our giving linked to God's provision? And we know God is the ultimate giver. When when he provides for us, he's effectively giving. And it says that, well, we know that God's heart is for us is that we should become more like him. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, if God is a generous giver and secures all the needs of everyone around them, how important is it that we act similarly to the people around us? In Matthew 25, verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did you see a stranger, see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. We need to apply this now in the situation that we're in right now. In Luke 6 verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, out of all the principles in the entire Bible, this is the one thing I know from experience is true. When you give to other people, you can, 
you can never outgive God. I promise you, I've tried it. <laughs> I've tried it so many times. You can never outgive God. There was a season in our life where we actually we started track we had a specific goal of giving that we wanted to set for ourselves and in one year we gave a certain amount and we thought okay well that was pretty good and within the next couple of months of the next year god gave us all that money i think double that amount back in the first couple of months it's incredible this is the one principle that you can it's like a mathematical formula it's true 100 percent of the time and if you don't believe me try it for yourself if you give it will come back to you and usually more than what you had given. And one thing you always need to remember is that you cannot make yourself poor by giving. I read that quote somewhere, but you can never make yourself poor by giving. Even if you gave away everything you had, God would still provide for you. And another thing to just note is that when you give, you mustn't look at the person that you're giving to as if, you know, maybe this person is going to squander this. You must never think of it like that because, as it says, when we're giving, we're giving as if it's to Jesus. In Hebrews 13, verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Point number three, give thanks for God's provision. How important is this? One of the most important things we can ever do is to acknowledge and appreciate God for his provision in our lives. I mean, let me say it again. One of the most important things we can ever do is to acknowledge and appreciate God's provision in our lives. We serve a God who's worthy of praise, all praise all of the time. And when he gives for us, we need to take that moment to actually honor him in prayer or in praise or in worship and thank him for what he's done. When it comes to eating your meal every day, do you take those extra few seconds to just thank him, to just honor him? Because when you're doing that, it carries such significance and you are blessing the food that you're about to partake of. When you receive your salary every month, do you stop and thank God for it? Because it's not coming from your boss. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. It's not your boss that's giving you that money. It's God. You need to pause and thank him. When seasons have changed in your life dramatically after much prayer and travailing in prayer, we need to actually take the time, take a, a season of time to actually thank God for what he's done because that's giving him the honor that he's due. The moment that we make it about us and what we've done, that's when we remove God from the equation and make it about pride. So the simple logic here is that God provides for us and we must thank him because he's worthy all of the time. Number four, we need to pray beyond the basics. So we need to move beyond looking at just our basic needs, as I said, and start praying into the deeper things. When God has specifically promised to provide for all our basic needs, why do we spend so much time praying about them? <laughs> I don't understand it. So if someone, imagine if I came to you and I said, look, on Monday... I'm going to give you a lift to, or on Monday, I'm going to give you a lift to, um, to work at 7 a.m., so be ready. And then over the next course, or the course of the next few days, you come to me and you say, ah, oh, you know, I'm just checking, like, are you still going to do it? You know, can you please just give me a lift on Monday? Like, are you sure? Like, over the next few days, how do you think I'll feel? I should have done this the other way around. So that <laughs> but how do you think I'll feel? Like my, my response will be, this person doesn't trust me. This person doesn't take me at face value. Now, we can maybe do that with humans, but we do not want to be doing that with God. It says, you have, in Hebrews 5 verse 12, you have been believers so long now 
that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. And the reason why I chose this is because some of us pray about the basic things 99% of the time. And we need to be praying about deeper things, about God's purpose, about our children, about things changing in the world, and not about our needs and our physical um, like things that we need. We need to move out of that kind of season. So we went through quite a tough period when Micah was born. Um, he had reflux when, uh, from about four weeks, I think it was. And for those of you that don't know what reflux is like, it's terrible. The baby can't sleep flat. You have to hold them up all the time. They cry all the time. They are in constant pain. And whenever you feed them, it makes it worse. <laughs> so it's a terrible, terrible situation. And then at about eight weeks old, you guys all would have seen, he had like a, a swelling here in his eye. And we also took him to doctors, and they didn't know what was going on. Like, what, what is this situation? And... They gave us this diagnosis of it being an orbital varix, which is something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. And all these things made us very stressed. And so in that season, we were just praying for healing, 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 healing. And at one point, I still remember reading James 3. Uh, I don't know, remember the exact chapter. But in James, it says, if someone is sick amongst you, you get the elders, to, elders in the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil and lay hands on them, and then they will be healed. And I remember reading that promise and saying, you know, why, why am I constantly praying the, these kind of things when God has already promised to give us healing? And so from that point onwards, we said, no, we can't be praying about it like this. We need to declare that promise and now focus on the other things of Micah's life, like his identity, um, his protection from peer pressure, his uh, finding God at a young age, those kind of things. And so that's the point here. We need to actually be praying about those deeper things and not about the basics. Don't get stuck praying on one thing for too long. And the last point, we need to trust God for the future. So lastly, since we have this confidence that God is our provider and will satisfy all of our needs, we need to learn to trust him with our futures, both for us now and for our descendants still to come. God is eternal. He's going to be here even when we have passed away, even when we are long gone. So we need to give him our futures and put it in his hands and trust him to bring about his perfect purpose in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So I just want to take a quick moment to pray um, because I feel like it's important with this virus that we're seeing that we pray over the people that are going to be struggling, or that might struggle. Let's not say going to be struggling, but that might struggle. So Lord God, we just thank you that you are a provider, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the one who will provide for us. We know that in this season there's people that rely on engaging with other people, or that rely on certain streams of income for to make it through the month, Lord God. And with the way that the, the world and our country has been locked down, it can be quite difficult for them, Lord. I just pray that in this season you'll lift them up. Hold them in the palm of your hands, Lord God, now more than ever cover for them. Give them the provision that they need. Take away the anxiety that they have, Lord God. Um, yeah, people who earn money from commissions or from things like that, Lord God, just bless them. Let people pay them even though they're not seeing them. Let people be generous, Lord God. Even people who are not Christians, let them be generous, Lord God. Let them 
bless people specifically because you know how to provide for us in any season and this season is no different thank you lord god thank you that you are our ultimate provider and we ask this all in your wonderful name lord jesus amen thank you guys